I want to try and tap into your imagination this morning somehow. I don't know about you, but sometimes your imagination gets dashed. Many years ago, I believed that I could fly. I just imagined because I'm a Superman fanatic. So I got up on the roof one day with an umbrella, found out the concrete below was very hard (laughs) as I crashed. And so my whole thinking of I can fly in my imagination was wrong. Then I've had two others, major ones, that have been dashed. One is that um, my mother always said that we'd never, ever get to the moon. And uh, they've got to the moon, but there's no moon man. There was, you know, I was told that the man in the moon, have you ever heard that? It's not there. He wasn't there. Dashed, totally dashed. And then only a few weeks ago, again, I had my imagination dashed because I believed in my favourite Martian. Have you, anybody remember the, my favourite Martian? He wasn't there when they landed. I can't believe it that sometimes in your imagination, things just don't quite work out. But I want to tap into your imagination this morning because every single one of us have imagination. We've got an imagination that, that can see things. Now, I know some of you are saying, not me, Paul. No, 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 no. I, I just can't imagine things. It just doesn't, doesn't sit with me. Well, if I was to ask you the question, do you worry? And most of you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, we worry about certain things. That is imagination. But it's the negative side of your imagination. And what I'm trying to get into you today is to look at the positive side of your imagination, that creative side of your imagination. So I want you to come with me for a little bit. And we've had the Bible reading this morning. Michael asked me what the, the mat was down here. And he says, that for sweeping stuff under the carpet. And I said, no, 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 Michael, that's not it. So I said, listen to the sermon and you might get some idea of what that piece of carpet is. And Haley's not here, is she? I apologise, Haley. that's out of the playgroup. And I borrowed it this morning just for a little bit of imagination. All right, just a little bit of imagination. But see if you can come with me to a, to a small township or a village with a road running through the centre of it. It's a dirt road. So if you can imagine just a small village, dirt road going down the uh, centre. Not, I don't want you to imagine Kerrang because they've got beautiful roads and all those type of things. So don't want, don't want you to do that. It was a dusty road. It was a very rough road. It was a small, sleepy village in a place called Capernaum. Nothing normally ever exciting happens there. I remember uh, over 40-something years ago, we moved into Geelong, which was then known as Sleepy Hollow. Nothing ever exciting happened in Geelong until Gary Ablett started to kick goals. And then the excitement came into Geelong, so they think, anyway, until he retired. But right next to the road, you can see the seashore. Just imagine the seashore, beautiful Lovely blue sea, if you've ever been there, which we've been blessed to have been there. But between that and the road is a line of square, box-shaped houses built out of stone. The roofs are made of sapling entwined with mud, sand and kind of a tarry-type substance. And then some type of tile overlaid to complete the roof. Rough, but very effective. If you go to some of the third world countries, they are still working under that system. Still beautiful, no rain comes in, and it's all all really good. And this was the same here, very effective. But one particular house catches 
our imagination, our attention, because there's a huge crowd that's milling around it, uh, trying to get in, but there's no room inside. Not even for one more person, no more room whatsoever. Every room in the house was packed wall to wall with people. And right in the middle, right in the middle of this crowded in the house stands one that every eye is glued to. Every single eye is glued to. It's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. You see his fame as a healer. excuse me, and as a teacher over the last few days had spread like wildfire, absolute wildfire like in a desert. You might remember that in the early part of Mark's gospel, that when Jesus visited the synagogue, he delivered a man of an unclean spirit. We talked about that several weeks ago. And then he went over to Peter's home to his mother-in-law, who proceeded, who was sick, and he proceeded to heal her. And she got up and served them. Then in chapter 1, verse 33, it's recorded that the whole town gathered at Peter's door. So now everywhere he goes, people followed him. Everywhere. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to just touch him. That's why this house is packed. Wall to wall with people, not only looking for a touch from Jesus, but they also had other reasons as well. If you could just take a look around the crowd in your imagination of this room, you may not be able to identify them yet, but I hope you will. You would be amazed by the mixture of different kinds of people who were listening to him. I was really excited on Friday for the the day of prayer to see so many different people coming who were not Baptist. We dunked them before they came in, so it was all right. But it was exciting to see different denominations coming together, pastors coming together, even though they're not of this denomination. I think God cares too. It's about denominations. But it was wonderful to see this group coming together as I looked over the crowd. And Jesus was there right in the middle of a crowd of different types of people. There were scribes. Scribes with their critical, unbelieving looks upon their faces. Waiting to pick Jesus on any doctrinal error that he might come out with. In fact, they were more interested in pointing out the speck in in his eye than they were about the log in their own. Have they found people like that? You know? But they'd forget that there's three pointing back. We think about the speck in our own eye. We need to deal with that. Then there was the newly appointed disciples, these burly fishermen who are now seeing Jesus in a different light from what they did some weeks ago. It's all of a sudden different now. Then around an, 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 another inner circle are people who are hanging on to every word that Jesus says. There were those who were hanging out of the windows because they couldn't quite get in, but still on the outside. There were people like that. But simply wanting a glimpse of this so-called healer man, this man who seemed to be different to other religious type leaders. I guess then, as Jesus always did, started to talk to them about, I guess, issues of life, things like that. 
when all of a sudden he was interrupted by the sounds of pounding on the roof and bits and pieces from the roof starting to fall down. I wonder if you can imagine that, even in here. It was so crowded that people got up on the roof and started to chip away and because they're wanting to have a look. Then a pole-like object came through the roof. Then a hand appears down through the roof, which proceeds to pull back extra parts of the roof. It's becoming a big gaping hole now. But to the utter amazement of the crowd below, faces start to appear looking in, determined to, to get in, but knowing exactly what they are going, about to do. And no one is going to persuade them any other way. Not even the religious leaders were going to persuade them to stop. Or the owner of the house even. So I said a couple of weeks ago, probably it was Peter's mother-in-law's house. But now to everybody's utter amazement, they start to lower down a carpet-type pallet through the hole in the room where Jesus is standing. As it gets to his eye level, they were amazed to see a man lying on the carpet. I'll pull this back a little bit so it doesn't look like it's part of the steps. I wonder if you can imagine the crowd for the moment. As they think and talk amongst themselves because we're human. Who is this man? Who do they think they are? We came in the right way. They should do that too. But then as they look more closely, they then realise that the man on the carpet is not moving. He's not moving at all, not flinching. But he is trusting implicitly in his friends who are lowering him down with a tight grip on the rope so they didn't let him fall. Now he finds himself at the very feet of Jesus. And we ask the question, what's wrong with him? Verse 3 tells us he was paralyzed. In other words, he couldn't move. Now, let's look at Jesus for a moment. I wonder if you can imagine Jesus. Not easy sometimes. Here he was, interrupted at a crucial moment of his sermon when again there is a disturbance, just like there was at the synagogue when he delivered the demon out of the man. But notice how he handles this situation. He disregards his message. He puts it aside and he rivets his attention on the man who has this need. He stoops down to the man and he looks up at the faces of, the, of, of those ones peering and he, he's kind of giving them that, it's okay, guys, it's okay. And for a moment, Jesus goes quietly and lifts up his voice in a prayer to his father and then says to the man quietly but firmly for everybody to hear, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. If I had been one of his new disciples, I probably would have said quietly to the others, uh-oh, he's blown it now. He's come out of his cover. They're going to know who he is. Can you imagine the faces of those in the crowd after Jesus has said that? I wonder if you can imagine that for a minute. 
Some would have had looks of amazement, but then some would have had looks of, is this the Messiah? This must be the Messiah. He can forgive sins. But the scribes and the Pharisees were outraged, absolutely outraged. Jesus, how could he say such a thing that they quickly called a committee meeting? Pick him up on the claims. I think they might have been Baptist Pharisees because all Baptists have wonderful committees when something's not quite right. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking as they got into this holy huddle. So Jesus questioned them with the vital issue in verse, in verse 8 where he says, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralysed man, Thy sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then he turns to the paralysed man and he says, I say to you, rise up, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. Now, you may very well be asking, so what's the big deal? Jesus has said, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Rise up. And the man gets up, goes to his house. What's the big deal? Why, get, why did the Pharisees get upset? Well, in Palestine at the time of Jesus, the Jews integrally connected sin and suffering. They connected the two together. They argued that if a person was suffering, they must have sinned. In fact, that is the very argument that Job's friends, you remember back in Job? That was the very argument that Job's friends had at his sickbed. They argued that if Job could simply confess his sins before God, he would be healed. But the problem with this situation in Job was that it's recorded in chapter 1, 1 and 5, that there's none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So how can we connect the two? But they did. But the Jews believed that if a person was sick, it was because they had sinned in their lives. Now let me say this. In fact, many psychologists will tell you, many psychiatrists will even tell you, that there are certain things that people have in their lives that causes sickness. And one of the biggest ones is unforgiveness. And if we have unforgiveness in our lives, it affects us bodily, mind and spirit. I know of many people who have not dealt with sin in their lives and as a result of that unconfessed sin, they have sickness in their bodies that cannot be cured by natural medicines. But as in Job's situation, it is not by any means the problem in everyone's life. The Jews also believed that if you had sickness in your body, God was angry with you. Incredible God they believe in sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we believe in. Which was a fallacy, by the way. God is not angry. So when Jesus said to this man, your sins are forgiven, he was saying, God is not angry with you, my friend. God is not angry with you. It's all right. And what he was saying above all of that is, actually, I love you. God loves you. 
regardless of what is situation in any of our lives, God is not angry with you under any circumstances because he loves you with an everlasting love. If he didn't love you, then that's a fallacy, the cross. Take it away. Get rid of it. Why are we meeting anyway? So any burden or the terror that he had of God or his estrangement from God rolled off his heart. And the very fact that made the cure all complete for him. But the Pharisees had this problem that the crowd was starting to respond to Jesus, particularly with his messianic overtones. No wonder the man on the carpet got up and walked. And some of the crowd were heard to say, we have never seen anything like this before. Oh, how do I deal with that? I've never seen anything like this before. I have this understanding that there are many, many churches around Australia, if not worldwide, that would say similar things if and when the Spirit of God moved powerfully in our midst. And something different happened. I was reading in John's Gospel this morning before I came to church when they... um, when the, uh, the guards and the soldiers and Judas came to get Jesus. You remember they said, uh, we're after Jesus? And Jesus says, I am. And they all fell backwards. All of them fell backwards. What if that was to happen in the Baptist church? Oh, my goodness. Nothing like this has ever been seen before, we would say. In fact, if a revival hit the church, I believe there would be people who would say just that. We have never seen anything like this before. And there will be others who will walk away from it, denouncing that it's not of God. Hmm. How do I know that? Because I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. I I like what Gamaliel's advice to the Jewish council was when they hauled Peter and John up before the council for preaching about Jesus. And he said this, and I love it. I've quoted this a number of times in ministry. But if it's not of God, it will die. If it's not of God, it will die. But... If it is of God, don't try to stop it or you'll be fighting against God himself. And I've seen people do that. And we need to keep that firmly fixed in our minds when we do not only our searching of Scripture, but of the experiences that people have had with God. They may not fit your little box, but nevertheless, it's by our fruits that we will know them. We will know the experience of God in their lives because of the fruit. If they don't show any fruit, it's not of God. Simple as that. But if the fruit is starting to show, get out of your own box and start to allow God to bring some experience into your life 
into your life. But now the crowd filters out back into their own normality. And I want us to remain behind. I want you, individual, to remain behind. Now it's only Jesus and you. And as we look at him, we're able to see the same compassion and unlimited power as before. Same thing. He doesn't just do it because of the man on the mat. He does it for each of us. We can see the empty piece of carpet. But it's at this moment in time that people in our lives start to flood into our minds. People that maybe we live with. People that we work with. Maybe people that are hurting. And people that we love start to flood into our minds. If we could just lower them on the carpet to the feet of Jesus for his healing touch. Those that are emotionally, physically, even mentally paralysed and be able to lower them to the feet of Jesus. But let's look again. Let's look again. And the face of the person on the carpet is yours. It's you. You're on the carpet. You see, maybe that's where we need to be. Because we too have been paralysed in some area of our lives. What do you think that Jesus would say to you? Go to church more regularly. That'll help. Give more money to the poor. Get over it. Come on. Move on in life. I don't think so. Maybe they're good things, but I don't think that's what Jesus would say. I think he would say similar things that he said to the man in the story. Rise up. Rise up. Take up that bed that you've been lying on for so long. I'm not angry with you, but go on in newness of life, but you've got to get up. And that's exactly what will happen when we put ourselves into the picture. We move from the crowd of observation onto the carpet of confrontation. I don't like that. I'd rather be an observer. I just want to come to church and listen to whatever else goes on and then go home, get about my normal life. But I don't want to be confronted with the, the way I'm paralysed in life when I, when I want to move on, but this seems to stop me from moving. I don't want to get involved in the church I just, want to, I just want to observe. I wonder, what do you identify with this morning? Who do you identify with? Maybe you identify with the onlookers. Wow. Wow, look what he can do. Hey, I've been in revival meetings where I've seen people stand there and go, wow, look what he's doing for that person. And then walk out, the same as what they came in. 
We never become involved. We continually just observe. We never get out of the grandstand and onto the playing field. I love that what Alan Meyer says. You know, some of the best footballers, some of the best umpires are in the grandstand, yelling and screaming, I could have kicked that goal. What a terrible decision. Put your glasses on, umpire. Then all of a sudden they find themselves on the playing field and it's different altogether. Everybody else gets a touch from God. Everybody else gets blessed. But I always miss out. And every, every day I go through the same old routine and never ever fulfilling the purpose that God has by my life. It's like a merry-go-round. I get up in the morning, I go to work or school or whatever it might be, and I come home, I get into bed, I go to sleep, I get up. The next. It's like a merry-go-round. It's time to get off the merry-go-round and experience the life that God has for us. Maybe you see yourself as one of the disciples. Hey, he's my friend. I was trying to look for a, a cartoon character that uh, I don't know whether you found it one day or somebody sent it to us. It was, the, it was the, uh, a, a big lion standing up on its haunches and a little lamb dancing on with him. That's what some of the disciples say, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I'm with him. Maybe you see yourself as one of the scribes. How dare he say those things? How dare he do that without asking us? All you ever do is criticise and be legalistic. Sometimes we've got to get rid of the legalism and move in grace because that's what God wants us for, to show his grace. Maybe you, you, you identify with the owner of the house and we become so materialistic so materialistic that we are more concerned about our comforts more about than more about people who need to come to Jesus. Don't tell me to go and talk to people about Jesus. I'm too comfortable. Maybe you identify with the, the, uh, the, the friends of the paralytic. Well, at least we were able to bring him to Jesus. I'm not important. I'm just a rope lowerer. Oh, church, how we need more rope lowerers who are prepared to lower people to the feet of Jesus. But maybe you just identify with the paralytic. You just can't move from the place where you are, and, and unless someone helps me, I'm lost. I'm finished. I'm finished. Did you notice the way Jesus approached the situation with the paralytic? He simply said, arise, take up your bed and walk. As I was preparing this week again, and I know I love the shack, I love it. I love the movie more than the book because I'm not a good reader, but I love it. But you remember when he, God presented himself then as a father image, male image, and he said to Mac, I want to take you somewhere. He took him up towards the mountain area and he said, I'm taking you back to where you got stuck. And I wonder, folks, where have we got stuck? 
where have we got stuck in our everyday life? Where have we got stuck in our church life? Because if, if it's just coming to church, doing the same old, same old, same old, we're stuck. But if we're coming to church on a Sunday, a given Sunday to our fellowship groups, whatever it might be, expecting God to do something, expecting God to work in my life, expecting God to do something in the life of the church, then we're starting to move. And I believe, church, I'm convinced that we're on the edge of something. But we've got to move. We've got to allow God by his spirit, to do whatever he wants to do, not what I want him to do. I've seen too many pastors, and including myself in in days gone by, who have directed the traffic. And when the Spirit of God starts to do something, they pull the reins on and they go, how do I control this? We're going to take our hands off and just allow God to do what he wants to do. The author of life, Jesus knew what man was meant to be. He could see what people had done with the precious gift of life. But he came and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And it was intended as he was intended to be. And it can be for you and for me. He can resurrect your life. He can resurrect mine, ours. And sometimes that's got to be given time again and again and again. Somebody said to me just the other week, I don't know how many times I dedicated my life to Jesus at an altar call. Many times. It's like I just got stuck and I needed to reaffirm with God again, this is what I want, Lord, as I follow you. Now with that in mind as we draw to a close, Let me just take you back for a few last moments to the scene at Capernaum. Think for a moment, with which character in the story do you identify with? The onlookers? The disciples? The Pharisees? The owner of the house? The friends of the paralytic? Or maybe the paralytic himself? Now again, place yourself on that piece of carpet. You've just been lowered down and you're standing right before Jesus. Simply accept what Jesus has for you. You simply may need to surrender your life to Jesus afresh, again and again. I've often had people, Paul, but why do I have to come forward so often? I say, because something of the Spirit of God just flows in, flows in, flows in. And if you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe today's your day to do that. Simply by faith. Simply by saying, Lord, I don't understand everything. But one thing I do understand is that I need you in my life. Simply by faith. There may be others this morning who are saying, hey, I'm stuck. I just need to move.
and God is wanting you to move. Are you, are you able to do that? Let's pray. Lord, your word says that you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, I'm asking that today, right here, someone's life needs to be resurrected from a situation in their lives that needs you right now, right now, to intervene. So come, Holy Spirit, touch each of our lives. For those that need physical healing, Lord, would you touch their bodies? For those who need emotional healing, God, touch their emotions right now. Bring a new stability. Holy Spirit, for those who have been abused spiritually by some church or leader, bring healing in Jesus' name. Lord, for those who want to be rope lowerers in bringing people to your feet, then I ask Holy Spirit, fill them. Fill them, Lord, with the power in Jesus' name. Lord, for those who simply need the refreshing touch of your Holy Spirit in their lives, I'm asking that you come. Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint them afresh right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those that we love, our friends, our family, our workmates, that we just want to be able to share your love with them. Help us, Lord. Help us to overcome our fear. And Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus. Why don't you come to him now? Why don't you just lift up a silent prayer and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Resurrect me from death to life eternal. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team comes up and...